without going through and taking you back through every bit of it like I have in previous weeks, I'll just start tonight by reminding you that basically what we're looking here is the judgment of God being revealed in its fullness. And so ultimately, you you might remember from Romans chapter 1 that the Bible tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness right now. And so we can look around this world and we can see that the wrath of God is already present with us here in this world right now. But it's mixed with the grace of God. So we have wrath here, but at the same time, it's not all wrath. There is much of the grace of God here. You remember what Jesus said in, um, I think it was Matthew chapter 6 or 7, if I remember right. He told him, He said, the God causes His Son to shine on the just and the unjust alike. He causes His rain to fall on the good and the evil. And so right now, there is a common grace of God that He allows all mankind to experience. The Bible also tells us in Romans that we are to look at both the kindness of God and the severity of God. And so we're supposed to be able to look at the grace that God gives us and how good He is to us, even though we are His, even though we in our sin are enemies of God, ungodly. And yet we're also supposed to look at the wrath of God, at the way that He He is going to punish because of sinfulness. And when you look at both of those, whenever you see the grace of God, The Bible tells us that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. So in other words, when you look at the wrath of God, it's meant to show show us, I don't want any more of that. I have to experience those things, sickness, death, um, disease. um, uh, There there are so many ways that we experience loss, um, whether it be of homes or cars or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, family members. Uh, there, there are so many ways that we get to see the wrath of God. And God means for us to see that so that when we look at it, we're supposed to be able to say, God, I don't want to experience any more of that. But instead, we're supposed to look at the goodness and the kindness of God, and that is meant to lead us away from wrath to repentance. You see what I'm saying? And so that, that's the point of right now. We do have the judgment of God, but not in fullness. We have both judgment and we have the goodness and the kindness of God, the grace of God. But by the time the tribulation period gets here, when we're looking at revelations, much of the grace of God is going away. There is every, Every step further, there is less and less grace and there is more and more wrath. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 15, we have already seen the wrath of God revealed in seal judgments. You remember that? There were seven seals and basically He showed it to us as if it was a scroll. And every seal that was broken of seven seals on the scroll, every seal that was broken contained a judgment of God that was going to be poured out because of evil and because of sin. And so through seven seals, we got to see the judgment of God and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then the seventh seal opened up seven trumpet judgments that we got to see. And so with every trumpet, we got to see the judgment of God become worse and worse and worse. And all through these, 
the grace of God is still present. Because you remember, the point of all of it was so that men would see it and repent. But yet, how many times did we read the revelations? Men did not repent and turn to God. They would not give God the glory. But instead, they cursed Him, they blasphemed Him. Um, so they recognized that it was God that was doing these things and it was God that was handing down these judgments. But instead of it turning them away from it to pursue His goodness, it made them even more hardened in their heart toward Him, even more hateful in their heart toward Him. And have you ever seen that happen to people when, when they know that something that has happened in their life, that God is sovereign and God is in some way or another responsible or I ain't going to say responsible, but He does allow it. And yet, how many of them get angry at God? And their heart gets hardened toward God. And that's beginning to what you, that's what we're beginning to see here at the end of this, is that we have finally reached a point by the time we get to the, uh, to the seven bowls of judgment, that basically... There are, no, there are very few, if any, people that are turning away from their sin anymore. And the judgment of God is just pouring out on them um, one right after the other. And so this is what we have here. In chapter 15, you remember, there were seven angels that were given seven bowls. And these bowls were filled with judgments of God. And God commanded these angels to go forth and with these bowls of judgment, the wrath of God is going to be complete, finished. I think that was in Revelation chapter 15, um, verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. This is going to be the final point to where the mercy of God has ran out. There is no more mercy. There is no more grace for the most part. He has come to an end to where now He is going to completely pour out His wrath. Now remember, I want you to keep this in mind. All the way from the time of Adam and Eve's sin throughout, there has been His wrath, but it has always been mixed with more less wrath and more kindness and more grace, honestly. The truth of the matter is, for the most part, you and I experience much more grace than we do than we do the judgment and the wrath of God. All right? And so for the most part, that's what we get to experience. But by the time you get to here, the wrath of God is finally fixing to be completed. And He is fixing to unleash it in fullness on all evil in this earth, on this world. And so this is where we're at when we get to Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1, and we'll just read through the chapter real quick, and then we will get into the study of it verse by verse. But this is the seven bowls of God's wrath. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. <clears throat> the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. 
And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God. Now notice, they know who's in charge of this. They know who's doing it. But instead of repenting, they just grow harder and harder in their hearts. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that is in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. So again, here's what we're looking at. We're looking at an unpopular subject tonight. There are very few preachers in the world left today that want to talk about the wrath of God. Most of them want to look at their church and say, God's not angry. God loves you. And God gave His Son for you. Now, are those things true? Yes. Yes, they're true. But you need to understand something. You can't appreciate why God gave His Son for you and how much God loves you until you see how angry and how offended He is by your sin. The Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. And so we have to understand that yes, God does love the world. And yes, God did give His Son so that through Him we might be saved and not perish but have eternal life. All those things are absolutely true. But never make the mistake of thinking that that doesn't mean that God is not angry with sin and with sinners. We have to understand that we need to be saved from the anger of God by His love. And so the two have to go hand in hand. 
You can't have one without the other. The one leads you to the other. And so we have to understand that the wrath of God is something that even though people don't like to talk about that because nobody wants an angry God. I don't care what you want. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, you need to know what you have. And what you have is an angry God. And what you have is a God that in His anger has also loved you enough to give you the chance to be saved from His anger and from His wrath. And so the wrath of God is something that we need to discuss. The wrath of God is something that we need to understand and we need to know about. And so tonight, we get to examine some of this, especially in the fullness of it on the last day. And so, by the time we get to this point, there is such a growing rebellion and such a hatred toward God and His ways that basically it has grown into just full hatred for God and His ways. And how many of you see that the world is headed that way right now? Now, we still see a partial love for God. But at the end of the day, there is much of the world that when Christians stand up for the ways of God, you are hated for it. And ultimately, it's not you they hate, it's Him. It's God. And so what we have to understand here is that we're watching this take place right before our eyes. Generation after generation becomes more and more rebellious against God and has more and more of a hatred toward God and all of His ways. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 16, That is almost all that's left. Now there are still some that are left that are going to go into, as we're going to study in future weeks, into the millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ comes and sets His kingdom up on earth first for a thousand years. And so we're going to see that there are a few during this time that are still followers of God and lovers of God. And I believe that they're actually protected during this time. And you're going to see why as we go through this. But for the most part, what you have here is a world full of rebellious people that hate God with everything in them and hate His ways. And so, let's look at verse um, verse 1. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so here I believe that God has given a command. Because remember, just like in chapter 15, whenever uh, the voice came from the temple to tell the, go out, tell the Son of Man to go out and reap the harvest. And you remember Jesus told us that no one knows that day or that hour, but only who? The Father. And so the command has to come from the Father to say, it's time for this. And it's the same way with His wrath. I believe that a command comes from the temple because this is where God's throne is. And I believe that God gives the command here to say, it is time for the fullness of my wrath to be poured out. And He commands these seven angels to go out and to take the bowls of His wrath and they are to pour them out onto the rest of the world that is here. And so in verse 2, we have the first angel with the first bowl. And it says, so the first angel went. And he poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now this is the reason why I say that I believe that there are still some here 
that um, are, are Christians that have not been killed for their faith. Now you remember in previous chapters we saw that God gave the Antichrist, or the beast is what He calls him, He gave him permission to basically conquer the saints. You remember that? And there are many that are killed as a result of it. But I believe that the 144,000 that we talked about in chapter 8, they're not touched because remember God sealed them on their foreheads. And so they have been able to continue throughout all of this unaffected for the most part by the wrath of God being poured out, unaffected by anything the Antichrist tries to do to them. And so we have people on this earth that are protected from these things. And here I see a distinction that's made because he says that that the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So what that tells me is that if they came upon these people, then there are other people that it didn't come upon. Now I could be misinterpreting that, but I, I don't think I am. The, the point being is this. Do you remember um, whenever God was pouring His plagues out on Egypt? Do you remember? This was one of them. I don't remember exactly which one it was. It was somewhere the sixth or seventh, maybe. But this was one of them. was painful and harmful sores broke out on the Egyptians. But do you remember? Did any of it ever touch any of the Israelites? In the same camp, in the same place. But none of the plagues that were being poured out were allowed to touch the people of God. And so in this case, I wonder if we're kind of back because He calls them plagues, and I can't help but wonder if maybe there is some kind of a comparison here between the way He did it in Egypt. Because remember, that's the same thing that was happening to Pharaoh's heart. It was getting harder and harder against God to the point that he hated God and he hated God's people and he hated God's ways. And I believe we're seeing a similar picture because it's the same Spirit. John told us that the Spirit of Antichrist has been here for ages and that there have been many Antichrists. you remember that? And this Spirit has been operating in many different people throughout the world in, for, for ages and ages. Now it culminates in the book of Revelation in one final authority figure of the Antichrist. But it's the same spirit that has been operating in the pharaohs and in in some kings. And so all the people that were anti-God, it's the same exact spirit. The only difference is by the time we get here, it has reached a climax to where you've never seen it. What you thought you saw operating in Pharaoh is nothing like what you're going to see it operating because the Bible tells us that Satan or the dragon gave the Antichrist all of his authority, right? It gave him all of his power. And so we have the fullness of the Antichrist spirit operating in this Antichrist body in the book of Revelation. So, And you remember also that He made the people that were still on the earth take a mark so that they could not buy or sell. It was either on their right hand or their forehead. They could not buy, they could not sell without this mark. And if you didn't receive the mark, He killed you, right? And so what you have in this situation right here is you have these people that received the mark. And as a result of that, God pours out His wrath on them because they have surrendered to worship Satan, 
through the Antichrist. They have surrendered to the power and the authority of Satan. And so they are anti-God. And God pours out His wrath on these people. Now, if you would look at, um, I think it's Revelation chapter 13. I want to back that up. 13, yeah, 13 verse um, 15 through 17. We're talking about the Antichrist here and the false prophet. Because remember, what you've got here is you've got the, the dragon, who is Satan. You've got the beast, who is the Antichrist. And Satan gives him all of his power. And he is a human ruler, alright? And then you have the false prophet, who is a preacher that comes along beside of this Antichrist. And he does great signs and wonders so that he convinces the world to follow and worship the Antichrist. You remember that? And this is because Satan is a copycat. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And during this time, Satan's trying to copy everything God does, and so you've got the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. You've got the Holy Trinity, and you've got the unholy Trinity. Alright? And so now look at uh, Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. And so we're talking about an image to worship of the Antichrist. So that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And we told you when we studied that, that we don't know for certain what this mark is. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to act like I do. Um, there have been many that have tried to use Roman numerals, and they have tried to use all types of um, alphabetical numbering charts to try to figure out what this is. And they've came up with all kinds of different answers. The truth of the matter is, we don't know. But here's what we do know. He causes many to have some kind of a mark either on their hand or their forehead in some way. And again, that's a copycat too. Because remember what God did to His 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7 or 8, uh, chapter 7. Remember what God did to those? He marked them on their forehead. And then later on we find out that that mark was the name of their father. It was the name of God. And so here, the beast, or the dragon and the beast, they mark their people too with his name or his number. So again, he's just always trying to copy God. Because remember, his goal is that he wants the world to worship him. He wants to be God. And so ultimately, he is trying to draw as many as he can for his own worship because of his own pride. And so whenever we go back to Revelation chapter 16, we see that God pours His wrath out on any of the people that are still here on this earth and they have received that mark. If they have chosen to follow Satan and to to turn in their rebellion continuously against God, 
He pours out for them this plague of harmful and painful sores on all of these people. And I believe it's kind of like what uh, if you were to go to Deuteronomy. Let's go there for a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 35. God told His people that He was going to do this. Is it Deuteronomy? No, it's Deuteronomy 28. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 28 verse 35. Actually, start in verse um, 27. And these are the curses for disobedience to God. Okay? So that's what we're reading about here. God is laying out the curses that are going to come, across, that are going to, come to His people if they are disobedient to Him. Verse 27, look what it says. The Lord will strike you with the bulls of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which cannot be healed. And so I want you to think about what He is likely doing here in Revelation. He is also striking these people with tumors and with, um, uh, with sores. And, and, and if you were to keep on reading, and we will here in a minute, you're going to see that they're running sores. They're sores that won't heal. And so He strikes His people with, or not His people, but the people that are disobedient to Him, He strikes them with sores, just like He did in Egypt. And then look at verse 28. And the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall not only be oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. And these were many things that they experienced when they were disobedient to Him in the Promised Land. And Assyrians and Babylonians came in. All right, um, This is one of the reasons, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but do you remember the prophet Jonah? You remember God told him to go to Nineveh? And he got on a boat. He didn't want to go. And he went in the opposite direction. But God made him go. And even when he went back and he got there, he went around and he preached, but he was so mad that God saved these people that he went outside the city gate and sat on a bucket pretty much. And uh, anyway, y'all know the story. Here's the point. Do you know why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? That's right. Why did he hate them so bad though? They were Assyrians. We're studying in Isaiah right now about, about the, the, the judgment of God that was coming on them. And God was using a terrible nation, the Assyrians. And just a few of the things that the Assyrians did, they would come in and rape their women and their children. They would skin the people and hang their skin up on their walls like wallpaper. They would take their heads and stack them in pyramids where they beheaded them at the city walls and the city gates. I mean, they were an evil people. And basically, this is what God is telling them, that the curses of your disobedience are going to bring things like this. So they experienced a lot of what we're reading here in Deuteronomy in the, the promised land as they were disobedient. But we're beginning to see it also in its fullness 
in Revelation. So keep reading with me if you... And anyway, back to my story, Jonah. This is why he hated the Assyrians so bad. Because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And so Jonah, you, you, you tell me, if somebody has come in and raped and murdered all of your women and your children, they have beheaded all of your people and stacked their heads up, they impaled people and stuck the bodies on, on a spear so that they stacked them up. I mean, if, if these are the people that you have just fought and God tells you, go to their capital and preach to them, and you know that if they listen, God will save them, do you want to go? That's why Jonah did not want to go. He hated the Assyrians. He did not want to see them saved. And it, it, it hardened his heart when God told him, I want to save them just like I wanted to save you. Because God, Jonah looked at him and thought, why in the world would God ever save somebody like that? And don't we do the same thing? Right? Right? To grow him in love? Yeah. I ask, and, but, you know, those are interesting things to... <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But that but Jonah had experienced a lot of these things we're reading about through the destruction of Jerusalem from the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so they experienced them there. So now go back with me to it uh verse 31 of Deuteronomy 28. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually." so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on your knees and on the legs with grievous bulls of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. And so again, I think that's important context to understand what we're likely seeing here in the last of God's wrath being poured out on bowls. And the first angel comes and he pours this out. And I believe what we're seeing here are are harmful and painful sores that are oozing sores, and yet they cannot be healed. Some, some versions translate this malignant sores, and they, they cannot be healed. They will not be healed. All right, And so this is the first part of the wrath of God being poured out specifically on the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now go to uh, verse 3. We get to the second angel. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. Now this is important. Did it become the blood of a corpse? What did it say? As or like. In other words, these are visions that John is getting, right? He's seeing this vision, and when he looks at the sea, when this second angel pours out its bowl, he sees that the seas of the world become like 
the corpse, the blood of a corpse. And so in other words, when he looks at it, it is this red image that basically the seas turn into. And then notice what happens as a result of it. It became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. And so one of the things that you need to understand here is you need to try to picture, um, if you can, that when John sees this vision, when the second wrath of God in the bowl is poured out, it affects all the sea. All right, And every living thing in the sea dies. And it looks like the blood of a corpse. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to try to scientifically explain every one of these wraths because the truth of the matter is, can God turn the sea into all blood if that's what He wants to do? Yes, He can. And so could it be that God just turns it into blood and everything dies? Possible. But I also believe that there is scientific explanations that we see happen today. Anybody ever heard of the red tide? The red tide is an algae bloom, and that's one of the hardest things that we fight in water treatment is algae blooms are are very difficult to to get rid of. And basically, they steal all of the oxygen out of the water. And so that as this algae takes over, sometimes it may be a green algae, sometimes it may be a brown algae, sometimes, as you see, the red tide, it's it's a red algae. And a lot of times it turns the the a big portion of this into um, into red. Now in Florida, they've been experiencing this red tide for several years now, and this red tide affects certain parts of the coastline. So um, I'm guessing probably maybe two to three hundred miles of coastline, maybe uh, maybe more, maybe less. But the point being is that it's only a small section, and yet in this small section, when they experience this red tide, it kills everything in the water. Dolphins, sharks, fish, thousands upon thousands of fish die as a result of this red tide. And so there are many scientific explanations that we could see this happening to where, but here's the difference, where we see it only affect a few hundred miles right now, when God pours this out in the end times, we're seeing it affect the entire ocean. All of the seas are affected. Just a few things that I looked at, some uh, stats for you. 3.5 billion people in the world today depend on the ocean for their primary source of food. What does that say to you is going to happen when this is poured out? 3.5 billion people today. Now, they expect that in 20 years from now, it could be 7 billion people that's actually dependent. Now, that's just a prediction. There's no way we can know that for certain. But still, that is a lot of people in the world that depend on the ocean for their food. And if it is affected so that every living thing in the sea dies, this is a major, major catastrophe that we're experiencing right here. And another thing that I learned about that red tide is that even if you... First off, if you eat shellfish and things that have been affected by that red tide, it actually affects you neurologically. It causes paralysis. There are so many things that it does to you. Uh, so humans that are still trying to survive during this time, um, they're, they're affected so many different ways. But another thing that it does is that it releases toxins into the air so that even if you don't have anything to do with the ocean, miles and miles away, 
it kills people as a result of the toxins that it releases in the air. You could be right, I'm not sure. Yes, now that's true, I do know that. Shellfish or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's right. You know, it's just interesting to me. Like I said, I'm not trying to tell you that that's what's going to happen. It could be that God just turns the ocean to blood. Can we agree on that? But it's just interesting to me that we see evidence of this being able to take place today. And it's over the last few years, it, is beginning, it has been getting worse and worse and worse. The red tide in Florida has, uh, has, become, uh, has began to affect more and more ocean lines and beaches. And so it's interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. Right. Through Christ Jesus. Right, right. 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 And you know, like I said, there, there are many scientific explanations, so I agree with you. It, here's the thing that I don't want to, I want to be cautious of. I don't want to stand up here and tell you that that's what this is. But I, I, like I said, I do think it's interesting to at least share with you that we see examples of it um, here and now. So it's not far-fetched. Do you understand what I'm saying? So many people read Revelation and they look back and they go, wow, that's just out there. It's not really that out there. Uh, these things are very easily explained, in my opinion. And that's correct. Right? Yeah. And so anyway, that's the second, um, that's the second angel that pours out the second bowl. The sea is turned into something like the blood of a corpse and every living thing dies. And again, that affects so many different things. And you know, you might remember also that the, the fresh water had already been affected. Before we go to this next, uh, this next bowl, look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. Revelation chapter 8, verse 10 was where the trumpet judgments were being poured out. And in the third trumpet judgment, it tells us that a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood or, or, or so bitter that you, couldn't, you can't drink it. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And so, even before any of this happens, a third of all of the fresh waters in the world have been affected to the point that they are unusable. 
So by the time this happens, we're having less and less ability to be able to, to have any type of, of water and which you know we cannot live without it. But now go with me to verse 4 in chapter 16. He says, And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of the sea. Now remember, the first time it was a third of them. This time it don't say a third. It says, Into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So here again, I believe that it, that it could be that God turns it into blood in some way. Could also be another thing like the red tide. Again, Richland Creek is your water source here for Giles County. And yet, there have been years that, that we have struggled to, to treat this water because of algae blooms. Now, we've not dealt with uh, the red algae blooms yet, but it's still the same concept, the same science behind it. And so, this is, like I said, this is not uncommon to think that, that the same thing could happen to the fresh waters of, of the world um, in this time. And so, here we have the, the already affected fresh water a third of it, now all of it, the rest of the fresh water is turned to blood. And so that's the next. And again, I believe that these are, um, as I told you a few weeks ago, I believe that these bowls are very, they, they take place one right after the other. Now we know the rest of them kind of go across a seven-year period. I, I, I personally believe that these last bowls that are poured out could happen in days or maybe maybe weeks at the most, uh, maybe, maybe months, possibly. But it happens very fast, and I'll show you why when we get to, the, I think, the fifth one. Yeah, when we get to the fifth one, I'll show you why. But again, for now, just notice that all the rivers and the springs are, are turned to blood in some way or another. And now, it's interesting to note here that what you're going to see happen after God begins to do this, as people begin to curse God and they begin to blaspheme God because they know that He has power over these things. And so what I believe you're fixing to read here next is the angels begin to defend God. Where the world is looking at it saying He's wrong, He's unjust, and, and He's a bad God, the angels step up here and they defend God. And it's interesting to me, the first angel that steps up in verse 5, and I heard the angel in charge of the waters. Now, that's interesting to me. And the only reason I say that, and we don't know for certain if there's an angel that's in charge of all the waters of the world in some way, but we do know that we see... Um, let me see if I've got my Scripture wrote down here. I don't even know if I wrote it down. Yeah, look with me at Revelation 14 verse 8. Hang on, maybe it's 13 verse 8. Maybe I wrote down the wrong one. No, where is that at? There was a scripture we read a few weeks ago talking about the angel that had charge over the fire. Y'all remember that? I didn't do good on keeping my notes tonight. I apologize. <laughs> Where at? 14.18? Alright, let's look at that. There you go. There you go. So 14.18 says, And another angel came out from the altar, 
the angel who has authority over the fire. And then look at Revelation chapter uh, 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. So again, here's a few Scriptures that... It's interesting to me that the Scripture talks about certain angels having charge over certain elements of the world, as if it is this angel that God has given authority to control over what the wind does. Uh, or, or there are angels that God has given charge over what the fire does. Or there are angels that are given charge over what the water does. It's also interesting to me that the Jews actually believe this. And again, we don't have any Old Testament Scripture to back that up, but in the, um, a lot of the Jewish historians' writings, we find that the Jews actually believed that there were angels in charge of, of the elements. And so again, that's just something that's that's interesting. I'm not trying to say that that, that I know that this is what it means. But it is interesting that the water is affected. All the seas, all the fresh waters, the world is fixing to curse God as a result of it. But the angel that has charge over the water, in other words, this was, would, you, would I be correct in saying this was his baby? <laughs> I mean, his, he was in charge of the waters. And now God has completely destroyed them for the most part. And yet he's the first one that steps up and he defends God in what God has done. And notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. So he says, God, you are not wrong. That's what it means to be justified, right? The judge says, you're not wrong in what you did. You are justified. I declare you not guilty. And so this angel steps up and says, God, you are not wrong in what you have done to the waters of the earth. And then he says, you are the Holy One. And as I told you Sunday morning, simply, there's none like you. There's nothing that can compare to you. And then he says, you are the one who is, and you are the one who was. In other words, you're the self-existing one. You always have been. You always will be. And so he just proclaims who God is, if you will. And then he goes into, uh, he says, and you are just because you brought these judgments. And then in verse 6, he says this. Here's why you're just. Because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. In other words, God has sent saints and prophets to share the gospel, to offer the salvation of God, just like everyone has had the chance to receive, right? And yet, they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets instead of receiving them and repenting and turning away from their sin and turning to the goodness of God. And so, as a result of that, because they've shed the blood, instead of listening to your word and turning around, this is exactly what they deserve. They deserve blood to drink. And it's just interesting to me again that it is the angel that has charge over the water that steps up first and says, you're right. You're right to do this. When all the world is saying, God, they're shaking their fist at Him. 
you were you're wrong to do this. That's right. Right. I agree. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. And so they get exactly what they deserve is what the angel says. And then in verse 7, it's not just the angel over the water, but there is also an altar. And if you'll remember, I think it was from Revelation chapter um, 9, maybe, 8, maybe. There were the souls underneath the altar that were martyred. You remember that? The ones that were slain. And so the angel looks and he sees that they shed the blood of the saints. And so they deserve to drink blood. Now you hear a voice coming from the altar. And again, when you go back to Revelation chapter 9, we see that that was the voice of the martyrs. And they were asking God, Lord, how long before you avenge us for what has been done to us? And He said, wait just a little while longer. And they were given white robes to wear. Y'all remember that? And so basically what we have here is now the souls, the blood that has been shed, these souls of those people now speak up and this is what they say. And they say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty. True and just are your judgments. So in other words, they were praying and they were asking God back in Revelation chapter 9, I believe. They wanted to know, God, when are you going to avenge our blood? Guess what? Here we are. They're seeing it. And they now look at it and they say, God, you are true and you are just for doing what you're doing. And then in verse 8, we get to the fourth bowl. Do I have time? I don't have time. Okay. We'll pick up next week with verse 8, and we're going to talk about uh, the sun getting hotter. The sun getting hotter. Did you know that there are scientists right now trying to figure out how to move the earth further away from the sun? But they've, they're coming up with pretty good ideas of how to do it. And of course, you know Elon Musk. He's trying to figure out how to move to Mars and how to heat Mars up to the point that it can sustain life and it can have water. And there are many ways to do it. One way is put a nuclear bomb on Mars and it'll, it'll heat it up. But so anyway, the point being is that the sun is getting closer and closer to the planets. And so they're trying to figure out if it continues to get closer to earth, it's going to destroy the earth. And so they're trying to figure out they've either got to be able to populate another planet. Now this they're looking at this years down the road, but they've either got to be able to populate another planet or they've got to be able to move the earth into this Goldilocks zone, as they call it, that is not too close to the sun, but not too far away from the sun. But anyway... Next week we'll get into a little bit of science that um, is interesting as to what we see in the, um, in the final wrath of God as well. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Now again, it, it's just when I go through this, it's interesting to me to just see some of the things that are happening in the world and some of the things that we're trying to, um, that we're trying to get away from, and yet God is saying that these are the judgments that are actually 
coming uh, in the end times. So, interesting to, to study it. All right, any questions tonight on our study so far through the last seven bowls of God's final wrath? All right. I would ask you, what do we do with this? Truth of the matter is, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, you know, when we read Revelation chapter 1, he told us that, he said that well, there is a blessing in reading this book. And he also said that he showed John these things to show his servants the things that must take place soon. And so ultimately, when we study these things, it's not just to, to have knowledge, God wants us to see the things that are going to take place and the reason they're going to take place. And I believe ultimately we can agree with the angels and with the souls under the altar and say, God, true and just are you in whatever you do. Whether you give, whether you take away, no matter what you do in this world as far as judgment is concerned, it's right. It's right. And you are good even in the darkest of times, you are good. That's right. That's a good application tonight. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's correct. Yep. And that's the point of God's wrath today is for us to look at it and say, I don't want, this is just a glimpse of it. I don't want to experience the fullness of it for, for eternity. And it's meant the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's meant to turn us around and go toward His goodness. Say, I don't want this, I want that. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time and attention tonight. I hope you learned something. I hope I didn't lead you astray too bad. But um, I, I don't think we did. I, I feel like that we're interpreting this uh, as best as the Holy Spirit allows us to. And, um, and I hope that you, you're getting something out of it. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You again tonight for Your Word. And Lord, I, I just pray, God, that these are, are things that we never have to see. God and Lord, if we're interpreting Your Word correctly, we believe that by the time this happens, we'll be with You. And Father, I just pray, God, that that would be the case. Lord, I pray You would come quickly. Father, I pray You would call us home to be with You. Father, I pray tonight that, um, Lord, You would help us to, to see the things that are going to take place soon. And God, I pray it would motivate us to, um, to share Your good news. Father, to share that, Lord, Your wrath is coming in fullness but there is salvation from it right now that is available. And Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to be that kind of people that love others enough to share that with them. And Father, I pray, God, that, um, Lord, whatever application You meant for us to get out of Your Word tonight, I pray, God, that each and every one of us would just examine it. Lord, just um, uh, try to see how it could apply to us in some way, Father. Lord, whatever that may be, God, I pray, God, that we would not... Uh, your Word would not return to you void. I know that. You said you would cause it to do and accomplish the purpose of what you sent it out to do. And Father, we trust you to do that tonight with this Word. Lord, we know, Lord, that you had a purpose behind it. Father, I just pray that next week as we continue through and we see the rest of it, that Father, you would, um, Lord, you would help us to, um, 
to do the same thing. Father, we could hear from You. We could see the things that are going to take place. And God, that we could apply it to our life in some way. God, we love You. Thank You for the mercy and the grace that we have seen, Lord, that we have experienced from You. God, thank You that we have run away from Your wrath and we're running to Your goodness. And Father, I pray, God, that there would be more that would do so. Father, we love You. We praise You. We, we just can never thank You enough for all that You have done for us. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.